In my house growing up, our most sacred time was time gathered around the table for evening dinner. Some of you may know what this is like for yourselves, right? In my household, we had a few strict rules. And mind you, my mother still sometimes implements these rules and tells us about them. One of them is that attendance is mandatory. Whether you're hungry or not, you come to the table. Number two is anything you might think that you've been playing with that needs to come to the table with you, don't bring it. It cannot come. That means baseball gloves, softball gloves, any amount of fishing equipment you might be thinking about, it must be left on the church pew that sits at the end of my mother's dining room. And then third, more a tradition than a rule, we say grace. We just do. Now, some of you may know that I still regularly call home to my family. I actually really enjoy doing this. I FaceTime with them often about once a week for dinner specifically. It's become a tradition for me to virtually be there. Now, what this means is I am usually on a phone screen, haphazardly placed against someone's glass, with my view being of my youngest, maybe cutest member of my household, my youngest sister. Don't tell anyone I said that. Her name is JC Grace, and JC Grace is quite a stubborn, busy child, okay? But you see, what happens is, is in my household, we have not only these set of rules that our dinner time abides by, but we also have a set of guidelines that my mother still says to this day. Two rules for the evening, for the, for the prayer. One, no looking at each other during the prayer. And two, no touching each other during the prayer. Even as adults, my mom still said this to us, okay? But since JC has come into our family, this has kind of changed a little bit. Now mind you, JC is two. She's just on the cusp of learning what it means to say grace. Now, several parents in the room or grandparents, you know what it's like to teach a small toddler to say grace at a meal. It is quite hysterical, or at least it is for me on FaceTime. Because you see, I call my family and we're on FaceTime and they're gathered around the table and I'm looking at JC and out of nowhere these days in the last two months, I watch as hands on each side of her grasp her hands tightly in an attempt to keep her from messing with anything in a hope to teach her the practice of praying, right? And I think that it is possible that this praying death grip actually is working. Because when I was home just before Christmas with my family in Texas, I quickly realized that JC really loves to pray at the table. She loves it so much. Now mind you, if you don't know this, I do not like germs. I am a, quite a germaphobe, especially about food. I don't like sharing food germs in general. And so I sat by my, my little sister at dinner, okay? Mind you, when it got time to pray, we hold hands, we pray. And I quickly, like I said, learned she loves this. Because after we said amen, it was about two minutes and she very quickly stretched her arms wide and said, pray, pray. We 
sat for a moment, and then she'd do it again. Pray. Pray. It was as if she was expecting me to give her all of my attention. And after all, parents, you know this is what you do. It is the learning phase. Consistency is everything. So what do you do when she's so cute, sitting there, arms stretched wide, looking at you with mashed potatoes all over her face and on her sticky little hands, saying, Lena, pray? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You take a deep breath. You quickly grab her hands. You try not to think of all the mashed potatoes and the gross food germs. And you say as quickly as possible, dear God, thank you for this food. Amen. And then you try to turn your attention back to the food before you. Now, I don't know if this is really the most thoughtful or articulate prayer. I actually would think maybe not. More, I feel like it's one laced with the frustration of being bothered instead of one pregnant with the invitation of the Spirit. But in the Gospel of Matthew, we find three teachings that perhaps have this similar quick, selfish emptiness that I thought my prayer with JC held. Jesus has just completed the Sermon on the Mount, which we know to be Jesus expounding upon the Ten Commandments. He's urging the hearers to not just abide by a set of rules, but actually to look at the core of those principles and apply the truths of their deeper meaning to how they exist in the world. So very quickly following this, we find today's passage, Matthew chapter 6, a warning to all who will hear, beware of doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Beware of doing all things for the popularity of being seen. Beware of lacking authenticity for the sake of being an influencer. Beware for the emptiness of your words and of your actions are signs of an empty vessel desperate for attention and yet broken without purpose. Beware. Perhaps the most well-known portion of this passage is the Lord's Prayer. We even said it just last week in service, right? Now, it's often said to be a guideline for how we should pray, yet I personally have often wondered why. Why is this the guideline? Why should it matter what I say to God? Why should it matter if my words are eloquent or concise or beautiful? And if I'm honest with you, I'm going to be careful here, I have often found myself slightly frustrated that the Lord's Prayer is my example of how to pray. Now, you all know this about me. I am someone who loves to think about word configurations and contemplate sen sentence structures and think about how to use language poetically and beautifully. And yet, I have this as my example. The simplicity of it often bothers me. Now, please hear me say, I am not suggesting we get rid of the Lord's Prayer. I am not suggesting that there aren't beautiful things to hear from it. Actually, in the last few years, I have come to rather love it. But it took me a while to get here. So please do not misunderstand. What I'm saying to you is just that sometimes I have struggled with how I feel about this Lord's Prayer, 
because for me, sometimes it has stifled my personal interaction with God. And yet, the Gospel of Matthew seems to think that this prayer maybe offers us more than just an example set of words. The Gospel of Matthew actually maybe says, Alina, what you thought was a problem, you might be wrong. The purpose of this prayer cuts to the essence of what I believe is one of the hardest trials for human beings, the desire to be affirmed prided, held in high esteem. The Lord's Prayer is offered as an extension to cease the striving of the religious people, to force them to come face to face with the insecurities within themselves that have manifested in boasting to everyone. We get this prayer not because Jesus doesn't like flowery words or poetic calling outs to God. Scripture's full of those, which I love. No, we, we get this prayer because the people had started praying beautifully empty words. Ones long, like some sermons are. Ones meant to highlight their skills of speaking and writing. Ones used for public settings to help them obtain praise. Now, you and I are familiar with these kinds of words, right? You may not know exactly what I'm talking about, but you know these kinds of words. We read them all the time on social media. Think for a moment with me, don't say out loud, but you can think for a moment and you know the post I'm talking about. Maybe you saw one this morning, you were scrolling through, you saw someone post, and immediately you looked at it and thought, oh, they're just posting about this thing because they want you to know how great they are and how morally upstanding they are. Maybe they posted they were on their way to church this morning, but you know they haven't been in a few weeks. You know these posts. And what frustrates you about these moments is not that they've posted, but actually that you know that it doesn't impact the truth of how they live their lives daily. It's easy for us to think about these moments. It's easy for us to call to attention those people and call out those flaws. And yet, I wonder, what if you and I were to peel back the layers and examine our deep-rooted insecurities? Maybe we might realize that we have a lot in common with those Jesus offered this prayer to. So Jesus calls to them, beware. He says, pray alone. Do not worry about the flashiness of your words or, you know, your actions. Instead, focus your attention on God. Be still. Find rhythm to these words, trusting that you are held by God. You are enough. For God doesn't need you to bargain for the divine, for affection or attention. You are enough. You just need to be. Jesus' warning does not end with just this example of verbal prayer. No, it goes on with a second warning. A guideline for fasting, the act of praying in action, if you will. 
He recognizes a disingenuous spirit among the people. He sees that they are so consumed with appearances that they have actually shaped the practices of their faith to elevate themselves. The once sacred, quiet practice of fasting is now a physical display of their supposed righteousness. Jesus speaks a warning to the hearers of these words, beware! You see, he recognizes the emptiness within the people's religious traditions. It makes me think, what religious traditions or spiritual practices Jesus might see us doing today and yell, beware! I wonder what he might sense we are doing simply for an empty attempt at achieving greatness in the eyes of humanity. For when it comes to fasting, Jesus merely says, humanity does not need you to bargain for their attention or affection. You are enough. You just need to be. Then finally, Jesus offers our third warning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, moth and rust consume or where thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The final warning in our passage today calls for caution. It calls for risk. It calls for patience. It demands Christ's followers be both nearsighted and farsighted. It maintains that we must regularly evaluate our heart and our spirit. And it suggests that we must actually learn to trust God. Trust that we are loved. Trust that we are held well by God. I grew up pretty poor in Southeast Texas. Connie and I this morning can say we have that in common. My family taught me very early on the art of pinching pennies, living paycheck to paycheck, if you will. And yet I read these words from the Gospel of Matthew and I don't think they're only talking about the accumulation of stuff or wealth, no. I think it's important that yes, we must be mindful of collecting so much that we belittle those with less, but actually I think more importantly maybe in this moment, we must realize that treasures don't always take up shelf space, no. Sometimes they are the false stabilities we cling to to ensure that we are successful enough, faithful enough, popular enough, liked enough, holy enough, appreciated enough. And yet, I think Jesus would say, beware, for this is emptiness. Beware of accumulating too much in an attempt to validate your existence. Alina, you don't need 15 pairs of new Nike tennis shoes because they're the newest and the latest. 
Alina, you don't need to replace your 5,000 Marvel superhero movies on DVD with the new Blu-ray versions of those things because you'll soon sell them on eBay because they're on Disney Plus. No, instead, we must realize that we don't need to bargain for ourselves to have all the things that money or hopes could buy. We are enough. We only need to be. So instead, hear these words, you beautiful creatures of God. You are enough. When the desire to be more presses in, beware. When you feel that only the best words or thoughts will do, beware. When you think that everyone needs to know how spiritual, holy, or righteous you are, beware. When you believe you need to prove that you have enough, are enough, can be or obtain enough, beware. Be aware. Fill the vessel of your soul with sustenance. Know that you are loved by God just as you are. Know that you are enough. With all of your insecurities, with all of your desires for greatness, with all of your hopes for more, you're enough. You just are. And when your prayers, and maybe even your faith, feel quick, or selfish or empty, like I thought my prayer with JC did. Just know it needs no extra words. It needs no extra actions. It's enough, just as it is. So instead, I challenge you and urge you this morning, stretch your arms wide. With your hands sticky with the stresses of life, maybe with mashed potatoes all over your face. Be okay with it won't be perfectly correct. It's okay. You're in the learning phase after all. It's about consistency. But trust in the depths of God's love for you. And then... Let your soul be free and cry out, God, God. And whether you have more words or not, be aware, for your hands will be grasped tightly because you are enough. <laughs>